Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to Nerd Wallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone. It's Takuyi here. And I'm Gabby. And we are the hosts of History of Everything, a podcast which you can probably guess by the name is, well, I mean, it's about everything. Do you want to know why people thought potatoes were evil and would give you syphilis? Are you curious about all the stories of the terrible and stupid ways that people have kicked the bucket over the years? Do you want to hear tales about all of the different badasses of history and the lives that they had brought to life? Well, if so, then look no further. History of Everything is just the right podcast for you. It's available on Spotify, Pandora, and anywhere else that you get your podcast from. Join us for some fun and just see how weird and wacky history can be. What follows may not be suitable for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. The world is full of stories. Stories of mysteries. Of curiosities. Of oddities. Join Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth for the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected as they lift the lid and cautiously peer inside the box of oddities. You know, one of the things that I love the most about doing this podcast is corresponding with freaks from all over the world. We've had uh, messages from Australia, Japan, um, other places far away. (laughs) You're great at geography. (laughs) Yeah, I am. Today, we actually got a couple of really cool things in our mailbox. We got a package from Andrew Vinken, He's from Buckinghamshire in the UK, and he uh, he said, I love the podcast. We've only been listening for a few weeks, but I've already caught up on all the back episodes. Never a dull moment with the box of oddities. Uh, anyway, here's my book. It's about little-known historical tales. You've already covered some of them, but you might find it a useful source. One reviewer called it, quote, charmingly eccentric, which, being English, I have taken as a compliment. I'm sorry. I haven't read any of it, but... I will say this. It's beautiful. The cover art is amazing. It looks very inviting. You know how you look at some yeah. books and yeah. you go like, no. yeah, okay, that's that's bargain bin material. Yeah, this is a real this, deal. This is nice. Plus, um, if, you're, if you're real good and you're real quiet, you can hear how nice this book sounds. Ready? It's a little AMSR for you. ASMR. Whatever the hell it is. Honest to God. The book is called The Forgotten Past. Andrew Vinkin. All the way from the UK. Thank you. And then we got this from right down the road. A guy right here in Bangor, Maine, sent us a box full of uh, serial killer magazines and serial killer trading cards. His his name is James. (sighs) So cool. And uh, he says... So after letting you know that I live in the same town as you, the fact that this package contains several copies of Serial Killer magazine and a set of Serial Killer trading cards might seem a little creepy, but don't worry, I can explain. He says, he goes on to say his day job, he's a graphic artist. He started SerialKillerCalendar.com and he also does the Serial Killer trading cards. These trading cards are so cool, I can't wait to dig into them. Collect all of them and bury them in your backyard. (laughs) Mail day is the best day. 
If you would like to mail us something, please no corpses, uh, you can do that. <laughs> Post us at 499 Broadway, Box 164, Bangor, Maine, 04401. And as always, we really appreciate hearing from you guys. Um, you go first. I go first. And it's pretty well known that there are a lot of uh, old shipwrecks around the island nation of Cuba, most of them from the Spanish colonial days. Uh, many are thought to be laden with untold treasures. Sure. Stuff that they stole from the indigenous people. Rich stuff. Gold and things like that. And so around the year 2000, 2001, Fidel Castro's government contracted with four different companies to start exploring underwater around Cuba to find out what was going on down there. Could they find some? In fact, there are many people that think that there are hundreds of Spanish shipwrecks in that area, right around Cuba. That may or may not contain gold. Yes, but they think most of them do contain some sort of treasure or valuable objects that could be uh, recovered. But in addition to that, just historical perspective and information that they could get from that time period would be invaluable as well. Sure. So in 2001, these four companies, along with Fidel Castro's government, uh, he was still alive and in charge at the time, uh, started uh, doing sonar exploration around different uh, areas, a coastline of Cuba. So cool. Most of what it looked like was just a desert. If you drained it, it would just look like a desert. It was all very flat, not very much going on. Not a lot of vegetation? Well, I'm sure there was some vegetation, but as far as geological works, okay, just pretty much flat desert looking landscape under there, especially the waterway between Cancun and the Guanajacabibas Peninsula. There's uh, maybe 100, 120 miles of open water between those two land points. A similar distance to Florida from Cuba. Very similar. Okay. Seems pretty close when you're looking at oceans and the vast distances that they cover. Not close if you're thinking, how far is it to the nearest pudding pop? Or restroom. Oh, sure. Yeah. yeah. Now, that really puts it in perspective. Of course, all the ocean is a restroom, really. I mean, especially if you look at... Uh, oh, you're one of those. ...what we're dumping in there nowadays. Anyway, so in that area, in the far western peninsula tip of Cuba and Cancun, they made some interesting discoveries. This one company, it's a Canadian company called Advanced Digital Communication, or ADC. ADCA. ADCA. They were working in close association with, uh, with the Cuban government. They were on a survey mission with these other three companies. And of course, they're looking for these treasure-laden ships. They did not find treasure-laden ships, but in that area... They found, with their advanced sonar equipment, some very strange objects that piqued their curiosity. They noticed strange rocks, what looked like granite structures on the seafloor. Structures like buildings? Well, they were, they were symmetrical. They were geometrical stone shapes, unlike anything that you would expect to find at the bottom of this submerged desert. It was just pretty much flat desert with these structures that appeared to be man-made. They resembled remnants of an urban civilization. Oh. But the thing is, it was at a great depth, 2,000 feet to 2,460 feet. The people who owned the company, uh, Pauline Zelitsky, who was a, uh, is a marine engineer, and Paul Winswick, they owned the uh, Canadian company, the ADT. ADTA. 
they were perplexed by this. They said, you know, it looks like the ruins of an ancient city, but it's so far out and so far underwater. This mm. just doesn't make any sense. They were looking for shipwrecks in this area. Which automatically makes me think of the Halloween episode of the Garfield show. Anything piratey, immediately I want to watch Garfield, which may, then makes me think of the Christmas episode, which then makes me cry. Is that the one where they go to the farm and John gives uh, Garfield all those Christmas lasagnas? Yes, but it's also when Garfield gives Grandma, Grandpa's old letters from the attic. Oh, yeah. The letters were nice, too. Sure. So... They studied these sonar images. They were really kind of intrigued by this for obvious reasons. Zelitsky observed what appeared to be these unusual formations. The blocks looked smooth. They had crests. They had geometric shapes. Some of the blocks looked like they had, uh, they had been hand-hewn. Oh. And a lot of them were in pyramid shapes. Some were perfect circles. Perfect circles like very circular like or actual perfect circles because sometimes when people are talking about things that they think are neat they exaggerate with sure. the words these they were use. scientists though all right all right this is from ancient origins so in july of 2001 they returned to the site and they brought a guy named manuel itoralde he's the senior researcher at cuba's uh, natural history museum and they brought a, one of those uh, remote underwater robots. I yeah. love underwater robots. And so they sent this robot down. And again, it's a couple of thousand feet down. And they, uh, they did some measurements and they took closer uh, pictures of these structures, both photographs and, and film. What the images revealed confused them even more. These were large blocks of stone resembling hewn granite. And they measured eight by 10 feet. Almost all of them exactly the same size and shape. And they were stacked on top of each other? or Yes, they were. And many of them were in a pyramid shape. So it's unlikely that they were part of a delivery upon a ship that sank and they fell in this shape. There were way too many of them. And the idea of them falling in an, into a pyramid shape a little hard to believe I, but i guess it's possible and if these are solid granite blocks eight feet by ten feet how many of those are you going to get on a spanish colonial ship many they were very strong ships <laughs> zaliski said the images appeared to reflect the ruins of, of a submerged city but she was very reluctant to draw any conclusions without further evidence good call scientist Itoralde said, these are extremely peculiar structures, and they've captured our imagination. Now, he studied countless underwater formations. He said, but if I had to explain this geologically, I would have a very hard time. So they were very reluctant to jump on the, hey, we found Atlantis bandwagon. Probably a good idea. Although from what I understand, the, hey, we found Atlantis bandwagon is uh, really quite a luxurious bandwagon. It's with, very popular, with at least. With an all-you-can-eat all buffet. However, the, uh, the media jumped on it. And, and they're immediately like, oh, did scientists find the bandwagon? Wait, no. Did scientists find... <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, they found the sunken Spanish bandwagon, which was full of 8 by 10 granite blocks. I don't know. Whoops. Oh, words. Yeah. However, Zelensky did not, uh, 
did not jump on that. She she did not want people to think that they were promoting that this was Atlantis. She says, Atlantis, that story is a myth. What we have here, what we have found, are most likely the remnants of a local culture. So she's saying, probably not Atlantis. More likely, it was a part of the mainland Cuba that, for whatever reason, sunk. Mm-hmm. But it was maybe, you know, Incan times. That I I love that skepticism and that ability to step back from the excitement of a situation and go, you know what, probably it's not this thing that we're all like, oh my God, can you believe it? And there's some other explanation for right, it. Right, I just adore a person's ability to say, I don't know what this is. Right, right. And and to not jump to a conclusion. Right. But not rule it out. I know the not ruling it out is very important to yes, you. Yes, it's very important to me because right. you can't rule things in, you can't rule things out. Unless you have a jump to conclusions mat. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Yeah. Sorry. That's okay. Bandwagon. So they sent some of these uh, samples that they pulled up with the uh, with the underwater robot. Some some. Uh, I'm ge- sorry, with the underwater what now? Robot, robot. Is that what you're waiting for me to say? Because of the fact that I lived one mile from the Canadian border, and everybody in Canada says robot, robot. It's endearing. Oh, stop it. Hmm. When the uh, robot was underwater, the robot collected uh, geological samples some of what it appeared to be hand-hewn granite. And they sent it to a uh, geology expert, a laboratory in Canada. They studied it. They said, this is very unusual because it appears to be hand-hewn granite. However, here's the hitch in the get-along, as the kids say these days. Oh, all the time. You can't stop them from saying it. The fact that it was more than 2,000 feet underwater indicates that this city would have had to have been built 50,000 years ago. Mm-hmm. There were no structures like this 50,000 years ago. Iturralde added 50,000 years ago, there wasn't a capacity for any culture that we know to build buildings that are this complex. That we know. And I think it's important that um, when we're framing these kinds of situations and we say, based on what we know for this region, this isn't likely. But that's based on what we know for that region. So it's like saying carbon-based life forms uh, couldn't live on such and such a planet. Right. And it, But who's to say that life means carbon-based, right. right? Well, yeah, Carl Sagan said in the original Cosmos, there may be silicon-based life forms. Exactly. We don't know. Yeah. So I think a lot of times when we're talking about things like this, it's easy to frame it within things that we know and that we understand. And you want to do that because obviously you build knowledge on knowledge that you already have. Sure, and right. that totally makes sense. But it makes questions like this hard to... I don't know what I'm saying. There's an ATV nearby, and you might hear it. I do apologize (laughs) for the vroom-vrooming. I'm just going to move on. It's Friday night, and uh, the kids are out with their ATVs. No, I I get what you're saying. I I get what you're saying. A specialist in underwater archaeology at uh, Florida State University said, quote, It'd be so cool if they were right. It would be so cool. But it would be real advanced for anything 
we would see in the new world for that time frame. The structures are out of time and out of place. So basically, the experts are saying this couldn't possibly be man-made, even though it looks all the indications are that mm -hmm. it was intelligently constructed, but it couldn't be because 50,000 years ago, we have never seen anything that was built to this high degree of technical specification. Sure. So you've got really two sides here. One says that, uh, hey, this could be, if not Atlantis necessarily, but this could be an ancient civilization or a civilization that lived far earlier than we had known, mm -hmm. because we have not found evidence until now that that is possible, whether it be Atlantis or just uh, Probably not a far-reaching... <laughs> far well, actually, Atlantis was supposed to have existed 12,000 years ago, so this would have been far older than what Atlantis would have been. Right. Just so as you know. It's, you know, Atlantis is where I want to be. She may be. Way down? Way down below the ocean. Those of you who understand what we're talking about will really appreciate that. Anyway. You're my best friend. Go. There is another interesting, but I think kind of implausible. Oh, is it implausible? More implausible than Atlantis? Go yes, ahead. Yes. Let's talk about it. One geologist is uh, saying that perhaps that ring of islands around the West Indies, the archipelago, the islands around the uh, edge of the western caribbean i don't entirely understand what that word means but i'm gonna i'm gonna nod my head and okay. say yes that sounds right i'm just throwing words out there and pretending i know what they mean rambunctious go ahead he hypothesizes that at one point those weren't islands it was a um a land mass that went all the way around and that the gulf area where this particular site is located was actually a dry basin in the past, but part of the land over time eroded and it filled. Oh, okay. So the levee broke. More or less, yes. And there are legends, Inca legends, about an island nation off the coast of what is now Cancun that was swept away. I love that. So there is... Incan legend that supports this idea. I support this idea also. What it would take to make that happen, in addition to the landmass, would be an evaporation rate that is greater than the influx of water at the time. In other words, water evaporates faster than it rains down. Sure. Today in that area, it does that. Surprisingly, in that area, water evaporates faster then it rains down. Yeah, okay. So it's not hard to believe that perhaps in ancient times it was like that as well. And then with the eroding of the circle of islands, well, the landmass that became a circle of islands, it just freaking filled in. Pliny the Elder talks about how the Mediterranean was a basin, that there was no sea there until the uh, people who live on what is the Straits of Gibraltar mm -hmm. dug canals through the earth there really and that the ocean filled it up that's what Pliny the elder says well it makes sense that if there are this large a number of islands and every single one of them doesn't have a volcano on it mm. that that may have been originally a land mass and so I don't think that that's more unreasonable to expect that that once was part of the land and is now under the sea. Now, of course, the other explanation which conventional science is standing by 
is these are all just natural formations that surprisingly look like pyramids and hand-hewn blocks. And it's kind of like the Bimini Road. There have been areas in the Caribbean where what appears to have been walls and roads have um, emerged. Sure. They're saying, well, these these are just natural structures, but they look pretty man-made. However, in this case, I have to say the sonar pictures that they have here, there's no way in my mind that this is a natural phenomenon. I have to see those photos. Right here. Oh. Tell me that nature created that. That's an Incan city. Oh, yeah. Now that looks like coral reef. <laughs> Three pyramids in a row. Perfect squares. You want to leave me now, don't you? Yeah. <laughs> no, mean, that does this. absolutely Seriously. look like an Incan city. Look at this pyramid here. It's like a step pyramid. That's very similar to what you would see. No, in... it looks very Cancun-y. Like yeah. I've been to... Uh, ancient ruins in that region in the Yucatan and that looks very similar to what you might see there so in my mind and as we all know I'm an expert at this sort of thing sure that is a sunken ancient ruin now whether it goes back to 50,000 years or not that's open to debate but the question really is how did it get 2,000 feet below the surface what did it take to make that happen because that is not a natural structure we'll post that photo absolutely a natural structure no, enjoy your day not even close <laughs> not even close <laughs> now the next question i have is with evidence like this why did this story just go away evidence question mark no it's evidence um it's 20 years ago almost 20 years ago sure and for some reason they just stopped researching it and the media stopped reporting it why is that do you think well probably because people don't have hard and fast evidence to hold on to and scientists say we can't say for sure and so you go okay well i'll wait for scientists to say other things We'll post it. We'll let people make their own decisions. But I have to respectfully disagree with you. That is a ancient ruin. No question. What is your theory as to why someone would try to hide that information from us? Because it goes against what the common scientific views are. And that's not uncommon. You see that all the time. People do not want to go against what the uh, accepted norm is in society because they will be ridiculed and because they will lose status in academia. That's why nobody talks about UFOs. Mm-hmm. Um, finding new interesting things that people would give a shit about is also how scientists get notoriety and become famous and well-known and get in the money so um you'd think if this had like actual legs probably they'd want to be on that but no you don't think so you don't think they'd want to be on that i don't appreciate your tone you're the one who gave me tone (laughs) (laughs) all i'm saying is it's atlantis that's the end of my story (laughs) That's the end of my story. Goodbye. <laughs> we'll post the photo. <laughs> you you decide. And now, that thing in the middle. Here are strange but true headlines. Number five. Forecasters call for weather on Monday. Wait, is that it? That's all it says. Yep, just weather will happen. That's amazing. But it's going to be on Monday. So they nailed that down. Number four. Amphibious pitcher makes debut. Wait. <laughs> do, they, do they mean 
ambidextrous? I think maybe. <laughs> okay. Which you are, by the way, in many ways. Not completely, but in some ways. Number three, cows lose their jobs as milk prices drop. Yeah, I bet they're real sad about having their nipples yanked on all the time. <laughs> Number two, miracle cure kills fifth patient. Seems a bit contradictory. And number one, man accused of killing lawyer receives new attorney. <laughs> How do you want I think that that's job? That's the law. <laughs> okay. This message is sponsored by Greenlight. You know, as your kids get older, there are some things about parenting that gets easier. I remember once hearing my sister tell my little niece, if you put your pants on, I'll give you some fresca. And when kids can start to reason that they get something, if they do something right, it's a lot easier to manage them. Having that conversation about money with your kids, that's not the easiest thing in the world. Fact is, kids won't really know how to manage their money until they're actually in charge of it. And that's where Greenlight can help. Greenlight is a debit card and money app made just for families. Parents can send money to their kids and keep an eye on the kids' spending and savings, while kids and teens build money confidence and lifelong financial literacy skills. Your kids will learn how to save, invest, and spend wisely thanks to the games that teach kids skills in a fun, accessible way. When I was a kid, I had expected chores, and then I had bonus chores. And bonus chores were where I earned money. And so if you're thinking like, hey, my kids should be doing stuff around the house. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. But maybe there's extra ways that they can learn how to be a successful financial money person. What was one of the bonus chores that you had to do? <sighs> Rub my mom's feet. And what did that pay? I don't know, like a quarter or something. Millions of parenting kids are learning about money on Greenlight. It's the easy, convenient way for parents to raise financially smart kids and families to navigate their life together. Sign up for Greenlight today and get your first month free when you go to greenlight.com slash oddities. That's greenlight.com slash oddities to try Greenlight for free. Greenlight.com slash oddities. I've got to tell you, the longer we've had our aura frame, the more I love it. I have kids and they live about 3,000 miles away and my daughter is expecting a child and she has been sending me updates on her baby bump through the aura frame. And since I can't be there to experience it with her, it's the next best thing. And speaking of mothers, if you're looking for the perfect gift to celebrate your mom in your life, Aura Frames are beautiful Wi-Fi connected digital picture frames. It allows you to share and display unlimited photos. It's super easy to upload and super easy to share photos with the Aura app. And here's the thing, if you're giving Aura as a gift, you can even personalize the frame with preloaded photos and memories. We love Aura Frames and living so far away from family, thanks to Aura, it's the next best thing. It's like, it's like almost being there. And right now, Aura has a great deal for Mother's Day. Box of Oddities freaks can save on the perfect gift by visiting AuraFrames.com to get $30 off, plus free shipping on their best-selling frame. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com. Use code Oddities at checkout to save. That's A-U-R-A-Frames.com and use code Oddities at checkout, and you will save. Thanks, Aura Frames, for bringing my family a little bit closer. As curator for the Box of Oddities, I've been instructed by the powers that be to issue this urgent warning. Please pay attention. This is for your own good. 
We've intercepted chatter confirming that Cat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth will soon be on the streets and roaming freely among you. This warning is specifically for the people in and around the U.S. cities of San Francisco, California, Boston, Massachusetts, Charlotte, North Carolina, and Nashville, Tennessee. Plans for the Box of Oddities live Halloween tour are in place and will be executed October 16th at Cobb's Comedy Nightclub, San Francisco, October 27th at Laugh Boston in Boston, October 29th at the Comedy Zone, Charlotte, and October 30th at Zany's Comedy Nightclub, Nashville. For tickets and information, go to theboxofoddities.com. The Box of Oddities live Halloween tour. Please take all necessary precautions. The Box of Oddities with Kat and Jethro Gilligan-Toth. Um, so we had an email from Dyersburg, Tennessee. That's the western area of Tennessee. So writes Christy. She says, my husband and I are longtime listeners and very excited to meet the both of you in Nashville in October, right before our favorite holiday. Ours too, Christy. Yes. yes. We're so excited. Um, while thinking about this, I was wondering if you might be doing a Q&A with the audience at that time. If not, would you be willing to do this on air. I find myself curious about your personal lives. I'm sure there are many others that find themselves in the same spot. And uh, she goes to talk on uh, talk more about how we maybe have weird stories and that kind of thing. And the answer is uh, yes. Yes. Yeah. We did a, a brief Q&A on our, at our first show at uh, Zany's Comedy Nightclub in Nashville in February. And we plan to do more of an expanded approach to that in uh, our Halloween tour. In fact, if you would like to submit any questions, you can do that right now. You can always email us at theboxofoddities.com. And then for the Q&A stuff, um, just have the subject line be like Q&A. That way we'll make sure that those get set aside. Q&A. Q&A. We're very excited. Go ahead. Sorry. What are you saying now? Oh, other things. Go. What you got for me? What? What you, what, what you, what you got for me? What, 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 what you got for me? This week I have something for you that is nicer than last week. Yeah, that was rough. Sorry about that. And I am aware of it. And so I thought maybe it would be nice to have something a little bit nicer. Okay. <laughs> that sounds reasonable and well-balanced. I wanted to talk today about Maurice Rowland and Miguel Alvarez. They are the cook and the janitor, respectively, at the Valley Springs Manor Nursing Home in 2013. So, it's October 2013, and the California Department of Social Services closed the Valley Springs Manor Residential Care Facility for the elderly for a number of violations. The department's Community Care Licensing Division served the suspension order on October 21st, According to a statement released by that organization, the facility had its license suspended for a laundry list of issues, including failing to conduct criminal background checks on employees, handling injuries improperly, and neglecting to hand out appropriate medications. The state first took legal action to revoke the facility's license in May of 2013, according to DSS, and the group appealed the decision and the facility was allowed to stay open while the case was pending. 
So October rolls around and it's decided that there are too many issues. They haven't been addressed and the site is to shut down. So the owner, Hermenegilda Noveda Manuel, had until the 28th of the month to find appropriate housing for these people in the nursing home. Was this a big facility? How many people did it, did it say? Was, uh, I don't know. Okay. So the owner, top administrator, Edgar Babel, and the employees packed up their things and left. With, with the patient still there? 19 residents were left behind. No. no. They just left them there. Left. Holy crap. So let's get back to Maurice Roland yes. and Miguel Alvarez. So these two, the cook and the janitor, had a conversation in the kitchen of this facility. Roland says to Alvarez, what are we going to do? And Alvarez says, if we left, they wouldn't have nobody. These two have been friends since middle school. And they talked about the situation. They talked about the options. They talked about how they weren't getting paid. They talked about the fact that the owner of the facility bailed. And they decided that they would stay. So they closed this facility down. Mm-hmm. But the power was still on and stuff like that? That's or? right. Okay. All right. Well, that's good anyway. Right. Yeah. I mean, that that helped uh, for sure. Because Rowland and Alvarez provided round-the-clock care for these elderly patients. God bless them. Distributing medication and making sure that they were bathed and fed. Rowland told StoryCorps, I just couldn't see myself going home. So the two, neither trained to care for residents, cleaned fed and cared for patients on their own time, placing these human lives above the fact that they were not getting paid for this. They said they just didn't want to leave the elderly women and men behind. Where was the state in all of this? Were they aware that these people had been abandoned? At this time, no. They knew that the facility was being closed per their orders. Um, but the owner and the top administrator had until the 28th to find places for these people. But instead, days before that date, everyone else bailed. Wow, that's what's going on with humanity? Uh, as I mentioned, this cook and this janitor were not trained for this. They were not healthcare providers. However, their roles quickly transformed for those elderly residents. Alvarez said that he went home for about an hour. He took a shower, he got dressed, and then he would go back, assuming to be there for a 24-hour day. Rowland, who is 35 years old, uh, says that he remembers passing out medications on those days. Uh, he said that he didn't want to leave the residents, some dealing with dementia to fend for themselves. He said that he didn't believe that they were capable. They were obviously living in a assisted living facility for a reason, you can't just abandon them. So this is according to NPR. Rowland said, quote, I just couldn't see myself going home. Next thing you know, they're in the kitchen trying to cook their own food and they might burn the place down. Mm. Even though they weren't our family, they were kind of like our family for this short period of time. For Alvarez, 
According to NPR, the situation brought back memories from his childhood. My parents, he said, when they were younger, they left me abandoned. Knowing how those people would feel, I didn't want them to go through that. The moment that everyone else is gone, they make this decision and they say, okay, we're going to stay. But the days after that, where they have to organize between each other, okay, well, I'm going to go home now. I'm going to take a shower. I'll be back in an hour. And okay, you go home now and you take mm. a shower and be back in an hour. And they're, they're staying there and working with these 19 elderly patients who they have, frankly, no business taking care of. Um, it's incredible that they, one, said, yeah, let's do that. Two, said, yeah, let's do that for no pay. And uh, three, felt that that social responsibility for right, it. Right, it's right. amazing and it's remarkable and it's wonderful. So during this time, of course, there's a lot of chaos going on. A 65-year-old resident who had disappeared in the past did leave the premises and they recognized that someone was missing. It was also during that time that one of the older patient's condition started to deteriorate. So the pair called 911. That alerted authorities not to the grander situation of the fact that these people had been, you know, abandoned by the facility, but that there was some need. And once the authorities got there, they recognized the situation. Wait, so these guys, they didn't call anybody to tell them that, that these people had been abandoned? They just said, we're going to just stay here and uh, take care of them until forever? No, they didn't know the situation. Oh. They just were doing what they thought was right. But I think my, my first call would have been to some sort of a board of authorities to say, hey, these guys have been uh, abandoned. What do we do? Right. I don't know exactly what went on there. I think maybe there was a lot of, oh, they'll be taken care of or, oh, yeah. someone will come for them, that right. kind of thing. We're just going to do this kind of, you know, for now. Yeah. And, yeah. I think there was a lot of passing the buck that went on at that time. And these two were just the ones who said, OK, well, I guess we'll take care of it in the meantime. Once the authorities got there and the situation was made clear to them, everything kind of started to shift. So... Of course, these two aren't expected to just take care of these residents forever. The department's community care licensing division served the suspension order on October 21st. And according to a statement released by that organization, it couldn't place all of the occupants by the end of that week. So the department decided that the facility could, quote, still function for several more days. And that is a judgment that they referred to later as being erroneous. Yeah. Well, yeah. <laughs> okay. Yeah. How many days or how long was it that these guys took care of these 19 people until the police showed up looking for that missing dude? It was three days. Three days. So... It wasn't like it was weeks and weeks and weeks, because I'm sure by that time they would have made a few phone calls. Mm. Um, but they ha they just they hung out and made sure that these patients were eating because for one day it's not it's too much for yeah. two days. It's too much. The idea that everybody else bailed and the cook and the janitor stayed, I think, is um, remarkable. So the owner of this facility and the top administrator uh, were accused of abandoning the elderly and mentally ill residents in the facility 
without care, they were charged with felony elder abuse. According to the plaint, the two knowingly and willingly inflicted, quote, unjustifiable physical pain and mental suffering on 14 residents at the home in its last days from October 18 to October 24. So those dates are a little wonky, and I'm not exactly sure how it's from the 18th to the 24th. Um, knowing that Roland and Alvarez were not left there for that entire length of time. So I don't know if uh, staff started to peter out and so the the patients weren't being properly cared for or I don't know exactly how that. But they were the last two guys standing. That's right. Essentially. Incredible. In the fallout from that closure, uh, the Department of Social Services, which oversees the licensing of senior care and facilities like this one, they admitted that there was a, quote, complete breakdown in communication and that the closure forced them to evaluate how that process works, because this was really a failure of process. People just left. So they updated their uh, closure process as well as updating training for state employees who monitor those facilities. And the incident actually led to legislation in California known as the Residential Care for Elderly Reform Act Hmm. in 2014. So as the police arrived and these people are getting taken care of, news of this situation spread. And of course, people are pissed. But people are also feeling big, fat, warm, love-type feelings for this cook and this janitor. And they weren't doing it for the credit. They weren't doing it to be sung heroes. They just did it because it was the right thing. Right. Maurice Roland and Miguel Alvarez were making the right choice for the right reasons. These people need to be taken care of. We're going to stay and we're going to take care of them. So, news of their deeds spread. People responded with goodwill, gifts, donations to the men and their family. Because, of course, during this time, they weren't getting paid. They were actually without work now. They were honored at the Hayward Veterans Memorial Building. Of course, some of the elderly there at the facility had been veterans. And they were recognized as they should have been. And the fundraising for the two uh, was over $10,000. No kidding. So there was a bank account. I guess they split it halvesies, which (laughs) is nice. And I love that the two knew each other since middle school because it was kind of like I picture them doing like a handshake. It, like, like a, a special secret handshake. Yeah, they, and they would run home like at lunchtime to play wiffle ball in the driveway. Alvarez, after the event, uh, said to the press, life is about helping. That's what you're supposed to do for people. It's something you do for your mother, your child, your auntie, or someone you don't even know. Especially when you knew someone was taking advantage of them. It wasn't going to kill me to stay with them for a couple of days. Wow, that's beautiful. I know. That is really, and in a world that is full of such bad news, Mm. it is so wonderful to hear a story of two people who are just, they're taking care of their fellow man. It's, in a way, it's sad. You know, on the Box of Oddities, we do stories that are unusual and odd, and it is sad that taking care 
of 19 elderly people who have been abandoned is so unusual that it's it's, it's considered an oddity exactly bless their hearts that's wonderful and I know, I mean, this story is legit over five years old, but I thought that it was worth mentioning anyway. These two are uh, a, a treat, and I am, I'm thrilled that I found this story because it really did. I was doing a lot of research about other stuff, and things were getting really dark and heavy, and then I found this, and I was like, I can't not talk about this. Yeah, that's a breath of fresh air. I'm th- I'm thrilled to be able to talk about it and to share that story. So, Plus, um, it is proof that Atlantis exists. Um, no, uh, even a little bit. No. Anyway, that's all I have for you. The Box of Oddities does land on your phone a couple of times a week. The next time that it does will be on the 4th of July, Independence Day here in the United States of America. Did you hear that um, there were cities in Italy? Wait. Wait. Wait, listen. Hold on. It's uh, fireworks time on the island. That's what summer's all about. (laughs) Um, Did you hear that there um, are cities in Italy who have started doing silent fireworks? I did because of dogs. I love it. It's it makes so much sense, not just for dogs, but for those with PTSD. Sure. Yeah. It makes so much sense. I love it because I love the pretty fireworks, but I hate the noise. That is something I think we're going to hear a lot more about in the future. Let's strive for it. We will see you on the 4th of July. For me, personally. Until then, keep flying that freak flag. Fly it proudly, you beautiful freak. And so, let it be known that the Box of Oddities belongs to you. And its fate is in your hands. Therefore, it's been requested by those I report to, to beseech you for assistance. The Box of Oddities is free. We ask but one thing of you, to provide a five-star rating and a positive review. True, that is two things. However, tis merely a five-star rating and a positive review. Also, subscribe to us. Okay, so three things is all we ask. Three things and three things only. Henceforth, the Box of Oddities commits to the telling of stories. Stories of the strange, the bizarre, the unexpected. We wish to offer our deeply felt gratitude and appreciation for your patronage. TheBoxOfOddities.com Copyright 2019. All rights reserved. Hi, I'm Neil. And I'm Ken. And we are from the Triviality Podcast, a pub trivia-style game show where a lack of seriousness meets a little bit of knowledge. Join us each week for an hour-long game of general knowledge trivia featuring special guests from around the world, plus tons of extra themed episodes. If you want to improve your trivia game, or you just want to scream at us in your car when we get easy questions wrong, then we're the show for you. Find Triviality on all your favorite podcast apps. But you know that, because you're already listening to a podcast. If you like this podcast, can we recommend another one? It's called Big Picture Science. You can hear it wherever you get your podcasts, and its name tells part of the story. The big picture questions and the most interesting research in science. Seth and I are the hosts. Seth is a scientist. I am Molly, and I'm a science journalist. And we talk to people 
smarter than us, and we have fun along the way. The show is called Big Picture Science, and as Seth said, you can hear it wherever you get your podcasts.